Duncan, thank you very much for having a chance to sit down and, and discuss the, uh, the Maritime Museum. Uh, let's let's start with yourself. How did you get involved with museums and, and specifically the uh, the Maritime Museum? Well, my, my work with um, museums started when I was still doing my undergrad at UBC. My background is actually in ancient history and archaeology. And I did a, a work-learn program through the Museum of Anthropology in their labs of archaeology. And that was my, my first introduction to doing a bit of work on their database. And then after my master's degree, I was doing that in England, and I came back to Vancouver and did a one-year internship at the Simon Fraser Museum of Archaeology and Ethnology, and got a bit of a taste of more aspect of more aspects of the museum world. After that, uh, in 2013, I joined the, the Maritime Museum in the curatorial department as an assistant to the curator, and that's sort of how I got my start here. So my background wasn't particularly connected to maritime history, but I uh, really enjoyed working in and around the collections and learning more and sharing with the public more about the maritime history and heritage of BC and Vancouver. Uh, walk us through the, the history of, of the collection. How, how did it form? Uh, what are some of its uh, milestones? Um, the museum really started um, just over 60 years ago. Um, last year we celebrated our 60th anniversary. And the, the first major piece in the collection was the St. Rock itself. And the museum was really built around that. Uh, it was um, pulled up onto the, the land here and uh, a dry dock was built around it and the main museum galleries were built beside it and interestingly uh, after the opening ceremonies there was a, a temporary display put up but then the museum had to be closed for uh, a number of months because there was really no collection so they had to uh, the, the board and staff had to go away and start collecting uh, maritime artifacts uh, for the first few years to, to start building up the collection. So it's quite um, sort of a mixture of artifacts, some that represent the, the coast here, but there is lots of artifacts that uh, represent uh, British maritime history, uh, things to do with Nelson and uh, the First and Second World Wars. Over the years, the, the collection has developed some main categories of representation when it comes to uh, the Canadian Pacific Railway. Um, the Beaver, uh, SS Beaver, first steamship on the coast that wrecked on Stanley Park and uh, after it wrecked there was a lot of collecting and salvaging by professionals but also general public would go and, and take pieces off so gradually those have come back to the museum through through donations over the years. Uh, there have been some some larger donations uh, to the artifact collection in the mid-1970s. Um, Arthur Lang, who was a senior government official in the Northwest Territories at the time, he had collected quite a few um, Inuit artifacts and um, pieces of art, and so he donated those to the Maritime Museum. Then we also have donations that, that were made by uh, St. Rock crew members that were collected yeah, so on a, their voyages in the 1940s. Um, actually, the the exhibition that we have on right now um, is pulled from a major painting donation that was given to the museum 
in the year 2000 by the late Bill and Mary Everett. Mm. And that uh, represents the maritime depictions of uh, the BC coast, although the collection extends further to um, uh, England as well. Mm. What are some uh, parts of the collection that, uh, that you see, or, or what, are, what are some regions that you want to build out in the collection? What are some stories that you feel um, you should be telling in the Maritime Museum that, that you feel are blind spots within the collection? There are a, a number of areas that I think uh, could and need to be expanded on. Um, being situated where we are on uh, the traditional territories of uh, Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh, telling more of the the stories of uh, their presence here, but that comes with certain uh, relationships that have to be have to be built and maintained, and perhaps with communities like theirs, there have been movements away from collecting those types of um, artifacts that represent um, indigenous culture and repatriating ones that are in collections. So it's it's more finding ways to to tell um, or to help create a platform for those communities to share their own story um, through a venue like the Maritime Museum. And we are working with a group right now, uh, the Canoe Cultures Project, and they're building canoes and learning some of the traditional ways and we're going to be working with them on an exhibition. So that may be a, not necessarily a, a collection uh, process, but uh, whether it's temporary loans or working with oral histories, uh, that's that might be the way we need to build up that representation at the Maritime Museum. Something similar could be said for um, immigration stories, which makes up a, a major part of the maritime history and could be um, more strongly represented in the in the collection or in the museum here. Um, but again, with the immigration stories, a lot of the members of the community maybe are no longer with us or didn't have the means financially or otherwise to keep artifacts or memorabilia um, that represent their experience. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to find new uh, innovative ways to help share those stories. One uh, example uh, is the Komagata Maru and we're we mounted an exhibition um, that was primarily story and text-based, uh, not artifact-based, uh, for the 100th anniversary in 2014 and we're going to be working with the Sea Heritage Museum uh, in Abbotsford to remount that as a permanent display with, uh, with their site. What are some events right now, some, uh, or, or figures or individuals that you feel a, an urgency to gather documentation around? Well, I think to, to build on a couple of the things uh, mentioned is collecting some of the stories from um, people who still have memories of significant um, maritime events in the past. I've over uh, the past couple of months uh, been corresponding with people who were on board Union steamships um, mm -hmm. to get more of the oral histories and their 
recollections of their time on board and what it was like um, at that point in Vancouver's history. Um, but looking sort of to the, the future, um, we're trying to find more, way, more and more ways to capture some of the environmental movements that are, are going on now or have been going on and will continue uh, to be a significant uh, aspect of history in Vancouver, BC, and globally, uh, because so many of the stories that we tell revolve around the oceans and the, uh, the threats to, to the ocean is something that's of serious concern. So whether it's um, collecting um, ship models that represent new technologies, uh, that would be one area that I think could, could be an avenue for the Maritime Museum. Um, the work that's being done locally by governments and independent um, organizations, how to preserve and protect uh, the local marine environment. So we, we now do have a couple pieces in the collection related to, to Greenpeace and yeah, they had a, a maritime um, start to their organization. Um, these conversations that you're having with people who were on the Union steamships, um, how are these, are they impacting the way that you're looking at the collection? Have they kind of, have they, have they brought up new contexts and new interpretations of holdings in the collection? I think they, they are sort of developing. Um, one of the things that I've found in looking through a lot of the collections is, um, there haven't been that many personal histories associated with, with artifacts. So um, having these types of stories to um, reframe what we have in the collection is is quite helpful. When we look at the, the Union steamships, some of the stories from uh, early navigators is that they would actually use sound to, to help navigate at certain points um, in along the coast when the weather was bad or when it was dark. Um, so using that in sort of juxtaposition to some of the physical um, sort of navigational instruments uh, is, an, is an interesting comparison. What are some items in the collection that have a, uh, an orbit around them? What are some that are really kind of uh, pivotal or, or keystone uh, holdings? One that I would um, highlight would be uh, the chronometer that was used on board George Vancouver's vessel when he was on the coast uh, exploring and mapping. And that is significant, one, because it's tied to uh, one of the early explorers, but also it's representative of a major milestone in maritime history and technology and in that the development of this piece of technology, although it's essentially just a clock, was crucial in order to be able to calculate longitude at sea, latitude being much more easily determined through uh, the height of the sun above the uh, horizon. But longitude is, uh, is more difficult to, to calculate, so that, that represents a couple different aspects of, of maritime history. What are some, uh, what are some recent uh, items that have been uh, donated to the collection that you're excited about? Uh, 
two that I was thinking of. Um, one of them was a um, a sun compass uh, that was donated by uh, Sven Johansson, uh, who is now passed uh, just in the last year, and he was one of the first people to pilot a private uh, yacht through the Northwest Passage, mm -hmm. um, and for that he took uh, a standard compass and uh, created a new mechanism to add to it, which allowed him to um, pilot through the Northwest Passage more easily because the sta your standard compass um, does not work that well when you're close to the North Pole. Yeah. Yeah. So it was this sort of ingenuity that he had um, that represented um, sort of a unique piece in the, the collection that was just donated um, uh, within the last two years. Uh, another piece that we received um, a bit longer ago, um, but also connected to the Arctic, was a flask that belonged to uh, Jack Foster, who was an engineer on board the St. Rock. Hmm. And not only does it represent sort of his time in the Arctic as a useful item to keep various liquids, but also he had it engraved with the names of all kinds of people that he met throughout the uh, throughout the Arctic. So you see um, place place names, people's names, uh, nicknames for people. Uh, so it's it's sort of a archival document in itself, almost you know, collecting the the history of the the people who he met and interacted with. Hmm. What are some exhibitions that you're you're thinking about at the moment? One that I have been really interested in pursuing and researching since uh, I was fairly early in my start at the Maritime Museum is uh, rum running mm. um, and and the, the story of prohibition and Canada's relation to to the U.S. and uh, during the prohibition years uh, in the States. There's uh, some fascinating history about the the West Coast liquor trade and um, so that's something that we're we're hoping to do um, within the next year or so. Um, another one is is the canoe cultures um, project that we're we're working on with um, members of the North Vancouver Canoe Club, uh, members of the Squamish Nation, to help showcase the resurgence of canoe culture and canoe racing culture. Um, three years out, five years out, ten years out. What, what are what are the uh, the aspirations for the Maritime Museum? What are some things you uh, you and your colleagues are looking forward to and, and hoping for the future? We're always hoping for uh, the chance to improve the building. Um, the uh, the collections, though fairly extensive, it's quite um, cramped. We are. Um, needing to deaccession sections of the collection that no longer fit the the mandate, so that we can really focus a lot more on the history and experiences of the BC coast um, and the Arctic. Um, and 
we are developing uh, some plans for changing exhibitions upstairs, uh, the sort of from what have been essentially permanent exhibitions uh, over the last sort of 15 to 20 years to more semi-permanent exhibitions that are better representative of um, sort of more of a people's history um, rather than focusing just on um, the ships. Um, and one of the projects we're working on right now is a, a new children's area uh, that's been in development for, for a while now um, to, to update our children's gallery. Well now we're looking at uh, new digital initiatives. Um, we now have the, uh, the collections, uh, both artifact and archival online, uh, but adding to that all the time uh, is, is one of our, our main goals to make it more accessible for the general public. What are uh, maybe a couple items in the collection that uh, you have a particular interest in, something that's surprised you in your time with the Maritime Museum? One of my favorite objects in the museum is a model ship, um, not connected to the coast here at all, uh, but it is made of bone <laughs> and was carved by prisoners of war, uh, French prisoners of war in Britain during the Napoleonic Wars. They would save their scraps of cow or pig or sheep bones from their meals and they would dry them, bleach them, and carve them into the, the various planks and fixtures on board the ship. Uh, and this is a um, highly detailed model of a famous French warship, Le Vengeur de Peuple. And that, um, that I would say, is one of, my, uh, one of my favorite objects in the museum. I do also really like the Jack Foster flask uh, yeah. because of just the, the amount of names. I think we counted over 60 names carved onto it. Mm -hmm. So we have yet to go through and try and identify who these names are. Some of them are nicknames like the Baron of Bach Peninsula. So, Well, Duncan, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down and speak with me today. My pleasure.